2 Timothy 1, verses 8 through 14. Hear now the inspired word of the God of the universe. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word which is bread to us and life to us and light to us. And we thank you for your Son who is the incarnate word. Come down out of heaven, Father, to bring us this great news and to be the mediator for us. And Father, we know that there are many families here today struggling, suffering. Perhaps some of those needs are known and some are unknown. But Father, you know. And Father, I pray that you would use your gospel this evening to gather us around it and to give us light, light, and hope. And Father, we pray all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. I wonder if you've ever uh, gone into your room uh, by yourself and shut the door and wondered uh, privately, just in your own mind, whether or not there would come a day in which your faith would fail. Now, for some of you, it might be theory. You could say, I haven't really had a lot of hard times yet. For some of you, the situation is not theory. For some of you, it's very real. Uh, Think of people who've had a cancer diagnosis, and they uh, might do okay for a few weeks. And then as the reality sets in, they start to ask questions. Maybe they know the answers to them. been a Christian for a long time, but then these questions become real and the answers to them become necessary. We think of families that have uh, perhaps the joy of seeing uh, that they're pregnant and that they're about to have a child, and then that child comes and they are aware that it has a severe disability and that that's going to impact the life of their family for decades. So I wonder if you've secretly thought to yourself, will the Christian life ever get too hard for me? Could you say that without a doubt that life would never cause your faith to crack and to fall away because you hear stories of that happening? Well, our uh, thesis this evening is God uses the gospel to hold faith fast forever. And now we, as we read here in 2 Timothy Uh, We have to be aware of the context here. Paul is about to finish his course of ministry, and he's handing the mantle, as it were, to this young man, Timothy. 
And he's aware that his life is going to end very soon. We read that in later on in chapter 4 of this letter when he says, For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Do your best to come to me soon. And as he's contemplating this, he writes to this young man, and what he has to say is very important for us. You know, Paul's often painted as a superstar. I, we just kind of have this sense that he's sort of this super missionary and church planter, and he doesn't really struggle with the things that we struggle with. But really, when you think about that, that doesn't make any sense, because all over the New Testament, we know of his sufferings. We know of how acquainted he is with grief. In fact, when he was called in the Damascus Road, and he had that great experience where he was blinded by the light of the gospel... He was taken to Ananias, and then what did God say to Ananias? He said, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Suffering something that Paul is very acquainted with. People often ask questions about why do I suffer. There's many answers to that question, Harvest. Sometimes we suffer because of the consequences of our own sin. When people go and they have sex outside of marriage, they get an STD. What's cause and effect? Suffering is a result of your own sin, but sometimes people suffer for righteousness' sake and for the gospel, and this was true of Paul. We think of Job, right? Job suffered a lot, and we pay attention to the fact that Job suffered, but we don't pay attention to why he suffered. Job suffered because he was a righteous and blameless man. That's why the devil targeted him. That's why he was the object of such suffering. And so the answer to the question of why do I suffer is often because of righteousness. Because God has called you to himself and because you're living a faithful Christian life. But the interesting thing here in our passage is in verse 8, Paul says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, but share in suffering. Again, he says in verse 12, it's because of the gospel that he suffers. And then he says, but I'm not ashamed. Now, you know that, right? You hear hear stories, maybe a, a young man, he was playing on the football team and there seemed to be a lot of promise, a lot of hope that he was gonna go on and play for state or play in the NFL. But then he breaks his leg in the first game and that's shattered. What do people say about stories like that? They say, what a shame. This young woman, she was uh, so gifted and so bright, but then this disease happened and her brain was affected and now, now those hopes and dreams are shattered. What a, what a shame. But Paul seems to tap into something. He seems to go, I, I know I'm suffering. I know this is happening, but I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. How can he say that? Well, it's because in verse 8 and 9, he starts to turn his, his mind to be fixed on something. Notice with me, he says, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, in verse 8, who saved us and called us to a holy calling. And he, he starts digressing. He starts saying, the power of God, who did this? Who did this? And in his mind, he's fixed on the person of God and the calling of God to him. 
He pulls this into the forefront of his mind, and he notices three things about it. One, he notices God's calling was God's plan. He says, God called us. He is the one who called us to a holy calling. We didn't go out seeking God. This wasn't our idea. This wasn't something that we, we went after. It was for God's own purpose. Salvation was God's idea. It's not Paul's mission, ultimately. The second thing that he notices is that God's calling existed before time. In verse 9, we read, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Literally, in the Greek, this says, before eternal times. The calling of God was always there lurking under the surface, and whether or not it was Noah in the ark, putting his family in there while the rain and the winds came down and racked that ark, whether or not it was the people of God going into Jerusalem, Throughout every event in human history, in the backdrop of that event, has been God's calling of his people to himself. I know you know this, but the more that you think about it, it's amazing. So children, as you think, you're, the plan of God to call his people to himself was before you were born. It was before your mom and dad were born. It's before your grandma and your grandpa was born. I know that's crazy, right? It was before everyone you know was born. In fact, it was before this world was created. God's purposes existed long before you and I. This is what Paul notices in verse 9. And he notices a third thing, and that's that God's calling is now visible in Christ. Paul says, with the advent of Christ, the calling of God is no longer a secret. It's now visible. He says in verse 10, it's now been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus. What was once a secret, what was once in the darkness, what was once something people had no idea what God was up to, is now public knowledge, completely visible for all the world to see. But as amazing as these things are, Paul is fixed not simply on the plan of God, but on God himself. He's fixed on the God of the plan and God's kindness and power to bring all this about. And you need to remember where he is. This is Paul in prison, knowing that his life is about to end, knowing that he's about to be executed, and this is what he's thinking about. This is what's in his mind. Our third point this evening is that Paul believes in the power of the gospel. Read in verse 10. He talks about Christ Jesus who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Paul's talked about his suffering. He's talked about the God of his calling. And now he turns to talk about the gospel. Now we're getting to the heart of what this passage is. Verse 12 is the key verse in this entire passage. He says, but I'm not ashamed for I know in whom I've believed and I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. All of the verbs in the sentence represent 
Paul, having thought about previously God, thought about previously his plan, and now he stands in it. We love as people, uh, we're very drawn to people who've made bold declarations of faith. When someone's already kind of done the groundwork, they've decided what they believe, they know that, they're ready to fight for it, and they stand there, right? That's really why, personally, I'm attracted to someone like Martin Luther and saying, here I stand and I can do no other. Because we know that those people have thought through their convictions, they're sincere, they're authentic, and they're standing in that. And this is the great declaration of Paul in verse 12, for I know in whom I've believed, and I'm convinced that he's able to guard until that day what's been entrusted to me. So the question we had was, how do we know that our faith won't fail when suffering comes? And the answer to that question is because we see Paul doing that here. He's placed his faith in God. Not, not, you know, there's the plan of God and the purposes of God, but he knows who he's believed in. He knows God. He's personally, intimately acquainted with God. You know, faith isn't just this, this, this ethereal thing out there. When we have faith, we place our faith in something. And oftentimes we, we look at our faith as if, uh, you know, it's the strength of my faith. I hope my faith doesn't fail. I hope that it sustains. But faith is always concerned with the object of the faith. It's who I'm putting my faith in that counts. If I go to sit down in a chair, it's not really my faith that really counts. It's whether or not the chair will hold up when I have faith that's going to hold up. It's always concerned about what the faith is in. And so Paul says, I know in whom I've believed. I know that he's faithful. He's been faithful my whole life. That is what I put my trust and confidence in. But there's one thing that we have to look at here in verse 12 that, well, honestly, commentators take this two different ways. At the end of verse 12, he says that God is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Well, what's, what's that? What's that thing that's been entrusted and who's in the Greek, it literally says, my deposit. So there's one of two things this could be. Either Paul's talking about something that he's deposited with God, or he's talking about something that God has given to him. People take it both ways. But if we search around here a little bit in our passage, we find the answer. In verse 14, Paul is speaking to this young man, Timothy. He says, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So it's something that's given to Paul, and it's something also that's given to Timothy. And if you were to read this whole book, you would see that the thing that Paul is talking about is the gospel. He's talking about the gospel being entrusted to him and passing the banner to pass it on to Timothy. Now, why do I say that? Because when I looked at this originally, I thought it might have been the first one. And it sounds nice, and it's true. Paul has entrusted himself to God. That could be true. He's deposited his faith, his soul, in God's care. That would be true according to Scripture. But he doesn't say that. He says, 
It's something that God has given to him. And he also says what? That he's able to guard until that day what's been entrusted to me. We often speak about the gospel. uh, Obviously, it's probably the most frequently used word in the Christian dictionary. It means a lot of things. That's why we keep talking about the gospel. But we often talk about it as something that we give to other people. We need to go to China. We need to bring them the gospel. We need to go to India. We need to bring them the gospel. That's what we need to do. But here Paul speaks of it as being a treasure that God gave to him. That's the deposit. It's been entrusted to me. It's something for believers to use. It's something for you to use here tonight when you're going through suffering. Not something you just have to give away, something that's for you. Martin Luther, in his 95 theses, that's a lot, 95, (laughs) number 62, says the true treasure of the church is the most holy gospel of the glory and grace of God. I wonder if you think about the gospel as something that's given to you as a as a treasure, almost like a treasure chest with gold coins spilling out of it. So the question we had again tonight was, how do I know my faith won't fail? The answer is because God will use the gospel to sustain your faith. See, the gospel is a tool that God uses to help those who are suffering. Now, a lot of... uh, when guys get together, they'll say, uh, often I'll talk about what they're building. Uh, I know my brother uh, came and showed me uh, one time a nightstand that he was building, and it was really, really fancy. He had like this electrical thing where you could charge like the USB stuff, your phone in it, and it was like a hidden compartment and all this kind of stuff. But often we talk about how, how is that uh, made? What size bolts did you put that together with? What type of wood? Was it a good hard wood? Is this thing going to stand up? What's it made of? What do you think? uh, Christ, let me put it this way. The gospel is the hammer in the hand of Christ to build his church. It's the tool that Christ uses. And when we think of Christ building his church, it's not just numerically. It's we want that. We want everyone to come to Christ. But it's also in terms of its strength in terms of how Jesus will use the gospel to bring strength to his people to build them up in the most holy faith that he's called them to. Why will the gospel hold you in the midst of life's trying circumstances? I'm just going to go really quick through five things from this text that answer that question. One is that the gospel is God's gift. He's able to guard it until that day in which has been entrusted to you. Secondly, the gospel is God's power expressed. In verse 8, he says, Share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. uh, And in Romans 1.16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. We often think uh, in in the recesses of our mind that the gospel is not powerful, we think, how can I speak to someone in suffering? What's something that will help them? And our words are not powerful. But God's word is. God spoke 
the universe into existence. That has to tell you something about the power of the words of God. Thirdly, the gospel is God's own purpose. It's not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. Fourthly, the gospel shows God's character. God is the one who saved us and called us to a holy calling. And fifthly, the gospel promises God's presence. We read in verse 14, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Inherent in the promise of the gospel is the promise that God will be with you in the midst of your suffering. How can we be convinced that there won't come a time when you'll be so cast down so pressed under trial, so crushed that you'll be tempted to just start to walk away and slink out the back door. It's because God will use the gospel to strengthen you in that hour of trial. And if that's true, then how do you grab onto it? How does that matter in your life? How can you bring that for yourself well, in verse 13, Paul answers that question. He says, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me and the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. He says, hold on to these words. And so what that means, hold on to what's trustworthy and true. Don't spend your time reading and caring about things that, that are not true. There's plenty of false teaching out there in the world. You don't have to read that. You don't have to care about that. What's true is what you should hold on to. That's the gift to you. That's what you get to hold on to, and that's what will sustain you. And perhaps you've ever wondered, you've seen someone going through suffering. You've seen someone who's lost a loved one. You've seen someone who's sick for a very long period of time, and you want to help them. And you think, how can I actually do that? How, what, what can I say? What can I do that would encourage that person? Well, you can use the same thing Jesus used to build his church. You can bring them the word of God. I tell you, someone in suffering, they just want someone to pray with them. They want someone to read them the word of God. Because again, that's what we're talking about here. That is what will build them up in their faith. This uh, summer and June 29th, it's about 73 days ago, my uh, brother Caleb was driving up from Colorado Springs. That's about a two-day journey. Yeah, he endured Nebraska and rains, and Nebraska's really boring. I'm sorry if you're from, from there, but so that was kind of a long, it's also long, it's very, anyway, he uh, took two days for that journey, drove uh, so much, and uh, he got here probably about 7.30 or so, rolled up into the parking lot of our apartment, was blasting. Uh, he had this big motorcycle, uh, big speakers, his BMW, uh, rolled up into the parking lot and was so excited to see him. Uh, it was great. He loved to ride. 
uh, so much. And we had such a great night with him. I remember just hopping over the railing of our apartment and going to talk to him. And he came inside. He was so excited to hold uh, Ellis, my son. And it was a wonderful time. And that was maybe about an hour and a half or so. He got on with my other brother on his motorcycle. And they were riding around all around town on I-96 by the airport. And about an hour later, I got a call from my mom, who was in the hospital, and she said there's been an accident. And um, so I packed up everything, and we went to Butterworth. And they took my family into a little side room. Now, I've been in the emergency room before, a couple of times. And when you go and talk to the doctors, uh, they usually tell you, you know, wow, this is really bad, and we're doing all that we can, and we really uh, are doing everything we can, but, you know, we'll, we'll see. Uh, but I remember looking at uh, the face of that doctor as he said, um, he didn't say that. Not this time, he didn't say that. He said, we have done everything we can. We've tried everything that we could try, and your brother's heart stopped and we couldn't revive it. And he stopped short of saying your brother's dead, but that's what the truth was, was that my brother died at 23 years old, full of life, as vibrant of a human being as you can think of. That was my brother. And that was it. Now, you grieve. The scripture gives us that permission to grieve. You don't ignore suffering. It happens. And we acknowledge that it happens. Because when we say, oh, death, where is your sting? That's future. That's in heaven that we say that. Death stings right now. Death is hard right now. Suffering is hard right now. Waking up when your child has those disabilities is hard right now. Going through going to the hospital again for the 25th time for that surgery is hard right now. But then after that initial grief, where do you turn? What is your hope? And what do you depend on? And Paul says right here in verse 12, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what's been entrusted to me. That's what he says. So what do you do next? As you depend on what Christ gave to you, what he used to call you to himself, and what he will use to build you up in your faith until he calls you home. Let's pray. Father, we are struck down by so many trials in this life, and we would be tempted, Father, to be ashamed of our sufferings. And we know that we suffer in large part because of the gospel of your Son. We know that we have a target on our back. We know that the opposition of the enemy is headed directly for us. At times we feel like our faith hangs on by a thread and 
Father, the pressure is so intense that we question and we doubt. But we thank you, Father, that we don't depend on our own strength. We depend on you. We depend on your son. We depend on his gospel. And we know that you will guard what you have given to us. You will guard what you have given to us, Father. Draw near all those, Father, who have been crushed by trial. Bear them up with your word, the gospel of your Son. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand with me as we sing together, He will hold me fast.
as we close and before we receive the blessing, um, I just was reminded of these words of praise to our God who will hold us fast by his gospel from the book of Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. And from him receive his blessing. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.